Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing well. We've uh, had some interesting conversations with clients this week, and I think it's uh, imperative we talk about it to our audience because we're hearing and seeing more and more of this when it comes to people preparing their estate plans, mm -hmm. drawing up their wills. Um, parents are very giving or very good lenders, depending on how you look at it. That's right. <laughs> and which how each party looks at it, right? And so let me kind of yeah. paint the picture. We, we were reading a case that was a, a lawsuit. Father sued the son, uh, claiming that money that was given or assets that was given was a gift or a loan. He, the father says it was a loan. Right. Son says it was a gift. Now, could you imagine if, if dad passed away, right. how much of a kerfuffle this would be in, in the estate? Uh, and if there's multiple beneficiaries and... The executor has a headache and a yep. migraine coming out of all this stuff and everything yep. that could that could possibly happen. But gifts or loans are normal, right? In in in, in families, in families, yep. right? So, um, how do you put this all together? I think right. that's the key one that we want to talk about. Okay, well, um, you know, we've got a great guest that's going to help us understand um, how to do this properly. Uh, Catherine Zhang is joining us again, a recurring guest on the show. Catherine's a partner with Welsh, uh, Welsh LLP. And Catherine, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Dave and Faisal. Good to be here. So let's talk about this idea of the, um, you know, this case I think shows the importance of, of documentation um, because it can get confusing between parties, right? And the last thing I think from an estate planning perspective any parent wants is to have to sue your child or create a fight in the family or confusion, right? But it happens, unfortunately, all too often. So, Catherine, help us understand a little bit about uh, how, to, how, to, how to document these things. In this particular case, how do you make sure that two parties understand the difference between a loan and a gift? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, the first thing that needs to happen is father and son, I would suggest need to have a, a very clear conversation between the two of them about what the intention for the transfer of assets is. Uh, and then once the both of them have that clear understanding, uh, it's it's although it's very good for the two parties to have that, um, we always suggest going that step further um, and having that uh, intention documented um, and depending on what happens you either sign a promissory note or a loan document um, which confirms that at the end of the day son this is uh, an asset that's transferred to the son on a temporary basis and the expectation is that father is going to receive that asset back or the same value or um, if father says, look, this has always been intended to be a gift, I really do not want um, for that asset to have to get paid back to the estate, also document that. Um, and it could be as simple as acknowledgement of a gift or a statement that whatever is happening is intended to be a gift. Um, and then if and when you contact the lawyers, also make sure that as part of the estate planning process, you're flagging that with your lawyer to say, oh, I, I have this loan. And, and sometimes what parents will do is they'll say, I want the loan to be forgiven um, at the date of my death. So even though there is a request or there's an intention that during my lifetime, I want that loan to be paid in incremental amounts on my death, 
it's forgiven and everybody starts with a clean slate. Um, but without that documentation and without having that discussion uh, with your lawyer and putting it in um, a, you know, a document during a lifetime, but also your will, you know, there could be some um, confusion about what those intentions would be. Catherine, very few times do we see families put pen to paper on these sorts of things. It's done over a kitchen table conversation. Mom, dad, I want to buy a house. And they're like, oh, we'll, we'll lend you yeah. some money. Pay us whenever you can. Or they want to help out as much as they can. Grandbabies cause a big monkey wrench in the program between gifts and loans. Um, the pandemic caused some concerns for from parents for saying, well, we'll lend you some money, give it back. But documentation is usually the last thing or at all even done. Um, when it comes to that, do they do they need to put a lawyer together for this one? Because that's where it gets kind of, um, it, it makes it more of a transaction that is that is not family feel. It makes it look more of a business feel. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna lend money to my daughter, as an example. Um, how do I draw this up? Like, how do I make sure that you know, it, it's still good for both parties, it keeps the family together, and it protects both sides in the event something goes wrong? Here's what I'll say. I'll say some documentation is better than no documentation. Uh, but the caveat on that is you want to make sure, like, you want to make sure that the document has the right mechanics in place. So if you have a document that says, I want to give a gift, that's great. That's better than having nothing. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes we run into issues where um, a person is creating their own document and they just aren't aware of maybe some of the additional ins and outs uh, that would be required, for example, for a promissory note. Do we have to pay attention to um, uh, uh, certain limitation dates? Do we have to put attention to enforcement provisions? And I'll just, um, I'll put it this way. Um, you're always able to do a document on your own. I wouldn't say it renders a document unenforceable. However, um, if you're going to go through that step, I would suggest, you know, go a step further and make sure it's properly put together and have somebody like a lawyer review it to make to make sure that it could be enforceable at the end of the day. Catherine, is there a default that the courts look at? Is it when in a situation where I have, I believe a loan to my daughter, my daughter believes it's a gift. Is there a default position that the courts look like at saying, no, this must have been a loan? Uh, but the, the uh, my daughter in this example would have to prove it was a gift, or is it the other way around? Um, I think it depends on the facts arising. I think if money has been transferred, um, it, it's considered a gift um, in the lifetime, unless there's something else that goes toward, like, have there been monthly payments? Have there been statements? And I don't think that threshold is very high to automatically flip it over to say, oh, yeah, well, maybe that there was an intention of dad or mom getting that money back. Uh, but at the end of the day, that would be evidence uh, that the court would have to decide and they would have to sift through if there's no documentation, what else was there? Were there, was there any money getting transferred back and forth? What were the testator's statements uh, during, during that time period to other people? And I think, to your point, I think you make a good, a good point. I, I don't think people have to you know, take what we're talking about today um, and for every little thing they do, 
um, you know, have a lawyer draft something up for them. But if it's material, like the case we were reviewing, there was a material amount of assets being transitioned. Yeah, it was money to buy a house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if it's material, yes, I think it's in probably worthwhile having that done. And, you know, the little gifts that you give the kids along the way, well, you know, don't get crazy and, you know, start doing stuff like that. And, and Catherine brings a good point about about the legal side of it, but you'd also need to look at the tax side of it. Correct. Because if you pass money on to, an, <clears throat> to a child, an adult child, yep. um, there might be some attribution rules that could apply right. um, or might not, depending on the situation. Yep. So just giving away money, especially large sums of money, yep. Uh, when it's for a house, for income generation, for for you know whatever it may be, yeah. um, it 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 uh, it needs to be documented and get advice from both legal and, and and tax experts. When it comes to the will and and drawing it up, Catherine, people will mm-hmm. say to me, Faisal, I want this to be documented, but I don't want it in the will. I want it to be that you know there is some loans outstanding because I don't <clears> want <throat> each of the children to know how much money I've lent to each of them or how much I've gifted to them. I just wanted to be documented that, you know, okay, everybody is on a clean slate or whatever you've lent or whatever you've borrowed from me, you have to give back to me upon my death without getting into the nitty gritty, the details. So the other kids don't know all the details of what happened. How, how does that kind of work out or is it possible to do that? It's absolutely possible to make a general statement in the will. I want all loans called in or I want to forgive all loans. Uh, But for the first option, if you're saying, well, I want all the loans called in at some point in time, your executor needs to have an idea of what those loans are and what's outstanding. Um, So at that point, we just say, yeah, have a separate document. It doesn't have to be the will, but have it set aside so that if and when the time comes, your executor knows where to look, knows what documents to rely on and knows how to figure out what amount is outstanding. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Okay, we've uh, we've quickly run out of time as we do on these very interesting and complex issues around families and estates and so on and so forth. Catherine, we want to thank you again for joining us and shedding some light uh, and some wisdom on how to uh, make those gifts or loans in an appropriate way. Pleasure. An interesting conversation about estates, um, but you know what, people are, are, this has been a difficult month for markets, right? So Let's talk about the here and now. Can I I keep the the theme going? We talked about is it a gift or is it a loan? Let's talk, let's use that same terminology for what's happening in the markets. The the attention right now is on this, at least one of them, is the 10-year treasury in the United States. With everything that's going on, is, is that interest rate gonna go up to five, five and a half percent? We're hearing a lot of people talk about that. And some are saying, is it a loan, meaning you're gonna borrow against future returns, or is it a gift because look what's happening, the future will look better, here's an opportunity. So is it a gift or is it a loan? What are your thoughts? Well, um, is it a gift or a loan? So it's a cycle, I'll call it that. I'm not <laughs> sure how to maybe classify it otherwise. So you know, at, at this point in the cycle, the um, clearly the bond markets are just trying to figure out where they have to be given what the, the, where the economy is and what the Fed's done, okay? And so we get volatility in the stock markets and in the bond markets, but you're seeing a lot of volatility this month, as an example, in the stock markets, because I would say the bond markets haven't yet quite settled into where they think that, you know, that terminal rate needs to be or where they need to, to end. Um, but we are getting close, right? Here's the, here's the thing. We know that the Fed paused on its last decision to raise rates, right? Correct. And then 
you know, people were confused because then the whole, well, the 10-year treasury is moving up, right? Remember, the Fed doesn't control what the 10-year does. They control the overnight rate. And so all these things have to settle in line. But what we do know is that we're getting very close once the Fed pauses, okay? Historically, if you do the research, we're getting very close to that period where rates peak, then they start to move down. There's, and that becomes an attractive environment for both the stock and the bond market. There's three schools of thought are mm-hmm. happening right now in the market. They're all pulling in different directions. When will the Fed cut interest rates? Right. And you notice we're not talking about the Bank of Canada because in the larger scale of the world, Canada doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. But let's just focus on the U.S. When will the Fed cut rates? They, the market was assuming sooner rather than later. The September pause that the Federal Reserve did also uh, allowed the individual members of the committee to disclose their, their, their expectations in the future. And the expectation of the future was longer, higher rates. Right. Now the debate on the other side of the, when are they gonna cut is, is it higher for longer or is it just high for longer? Those right. are two different pieces right. now. And when we start to di- dissect those two different pieces, if it's higher for longer, watch the market react heavily. Right. And part of that was what happened in September. Right. If it's high for longer, watch a reassessment of what's happening in the markets where they start looking at, well, if it's gonna be high for longer, what companies, what sectors are the places to be? Right. And you're gonna start getting a big movement. And don't forget, <laughs> volume is below its average right now. By you're 20%, talking trading volume. Though. Trading volume. Yeah. So that means less people in the market trading, which means there's gonna be a bigger expansion of volatility mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. So if I look at, is this a gift or is this a loan? This is a gift longer term, but we are borrowing on the short term rate of returns to handle this volatility. So it's yeah. a loan as well. Yeah, and, and so if I go back to my cycle comment too, I, th- I think you're right, people need to understand there's, it, it's gotta stabilize before rate cuts, right? So we're in this period where things have moved up, stabilize, then we'll see rate cuts. That happens every time, right? That's that's just part of the normal cycle. The timing is always the questionable piece of this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot. We have a debate about this stuff all the time. We were in our committee, our investment committee meeting Thursday, I think it was, um, and we were debating. You and I were debating about what you know what what's going to happen in the, in the reaction of all this stuff that's going on. Right. The reaction that an individual retail investor yep. may have yep. is, I don't want to deal with this volatility. Cash me out of my portfolio, and let's buy GICs. Right. What are your thoughts about people cashing out and buying GICs? Yeah, so there, I'm going to try to address that maybe in a couple of different ways. As you ask the question, I think the first thing that people have to go back to is what the strategy is, okay? So we always talk about structure and discipline, and it's, this is no different. So we've had a lot of volatility in September. It will be tempting for people, particularly with GICs paying 5%, yep. to do that. But if somebody were to make a change out of, say, equities and go into GICs, what you've done is you've fundamentally changed the strategy, okay? So... What I say about GICs always is they're a great financial tool, but you've got to match it. You've got to match the, the, the tool to the outcome that you're trying to accomplish, right? And so um, I would always object to somebody saying, I'm going to fundamentally change everything over here and I'm going to go into one asset class over here, okay? doesn't matter if it's going to GIC or it's going from GIC to all equity at some point in the future. I think that you're making some very rash 
changes, and in the absence of a real reason to change the strategy that way, okay, I think I think it's a mistake. Now, the tempting aspect, so, so that's the strategy perspective. Um, are, are there uh, elements or, or would, could there be reasons why maybe you want a portion of the portfolio to be short-term protected and so on and so forth? Cool. Now we start to match up the financial product strategy with what you're trying to do. Um, the, the problem I, I see coming is we're getting close to the end of that cycle. And if you, if you do your research, what you're going to see is uh, there is going to be cash is not going to be king for very much longer. And when that change happens, say something like the bond market, forget about the stock markets even, the bond market is going gonna, is gonna to have a much more attractive total return opportunity than locking into a GIC. And so if you take that step of locking in for a one or a two or a three or a five-year period, okay, the further you go out, the more I can assure you, you're going to miss that recovery and all of those gains are going to be left on the table. So you need to be very, very careful at this point. Here's one thing that I want people to understand when it comes to looking at your options. When you are looking at a GIC and you're you're afraid, have concern about what's <clears throat> happening in the markets, you have no real clarity about what's happening in the economy, yeah. and you want to harbor or, sit or protect your capital. What I think people need to look at is it's more than just GIC versus stock yeah. or GIC versus bond. Right. What I'm, I'm suggesting people to explore and really investigate their options is what we call credit, not just GIC and bond. Those are not the only two tools in the tool belt. Credit can be principal protected, can be structured in a way to provide you similar type of returns as GICs, but gives you more flexibility to look at options that can also give you that, that upside right. beyond. So what I'm, I'm suggesting people to look at is do not assume there are only four things you can invest in, stocks, cash, bonds, and GICs. Right. There's credit. There's different types of credit out there. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to educate themselves this is the time. When is the last time you heard me talk about credit like this? Right? Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's exciting. Right? It is exciting <laughs> because we're getting the opportunity of stock market-like returns yeah. in the credit market, which we haven't seen for a decade at least. Right. So here comes the time that you can actually make good money without taking an exorbitant amount of risk like the stock market, you bet. if we call stock market risk exorbitant. Yeah. So just let's let's open up the conversations now of let's talk credit for protection but also credit for opportunity Absolutely. in the same in the same breath this is the rare spot in time we're at i think people need to do their homework and we're going to talk about that at our upcoming seminar as part of the presentation the framework it is huge to mitigate risk and look for opportunity and we're going to talk about that on tuesday november 7th 7 p.m. at the carriage house and you need to reserve your seats so go to morethanmoneyradio.com Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on QR uh, Calgary. On behalf of Faisal, myself, Dave, and the rest of the team, uh, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. 
For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.